So we, we can do, do questions, and it's always uh, great to be here uh, with you folks uh, in Huntsville and, you know, have a time of question and answers. And um, because of the fact that we don't have, like, a roving microphone or anything, uh, if you have a question, I, what I'll try to do is repeat it for the sake of the people who are listening because we'll probably take this time and and have another kind of smaller show, maybe just share it with our Patreon folks, maybe just share it with everybody, we're not sure yet. But anyway, uh, anything that came up in conversation you, that you'd like us to, to respond to, that, any question you have for us? Yeah, Brandon. Yeah. So if the government has files on you, what do you want your code name to be? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the question was, if the government has a file on me, what? would I like my code name to be? Well, we've got three of us here. So, Tom, what, what do you want your code name to be? Uh, that's it. Uh. <laughs> Glenn. Um, I'm, from, I'm, I'm from New Jersey, and this is going to be a little bit out there. Um, but the first thing that came to mind is hemorrhoid. Because, <laughs> Because I, because I intend to be a pain in their butt. <laughs> well, I can't beat that, so I won't even try. <laughs> yeah. So, just one question I had. You were talking about co-belligerence earlier. It seems strange to me that right now we seem to have an evangelical culture where we're more closely aligned with men like Jordan Peterson, James Lindsay, than even as of today, men like John Piper. So my, my question is, if, if the debate that's happening in evangelicalism is not how best to achieve Christendom, for lack of a better word, but even whether we should even you know, put forth any effort to do so, how, how do you square that? Yeah, that's a great question. So the question, to summarize it, is that there are a lot of people out there that we seem to have more more in common with who are outside the church than people. Some people who are in the church who are, you know, you named you named uh, John Piper, but we could talk about Russell Moore or you know, people like that. And um, I think it's a great question. Uh, so you know, how do you proceed? Any thoughts? Uh, I, I think one way of looking at it is I've tried to stress show after show we all have is that. I mean, oftentimes we look at these kind of relationships from the angle only of our soteriological vision, right? Christianity only through that angle. But right now, that, that question is really far removed from most of the cultural issues, even though it is central to it. I think that, the, that one of the things that has been increasingly lost in the evangelical, the modern evangelical world, the modern church has been the doctrine of creation, its boundaries, its forms, its order. And what people like Jordan Peters and some of these other people are recognizing when evangelicals are not is that there is a created order with boundaries. They may not be putting it in the theological richness that the, the historic faith has, but it's oftentimes much richer than what some of these evangelical figures and their Gnostic and, and nihilistic or materialistic conceptions of creation are. So in a sense, the doctrinal issue, as is, is Luther or any, any significant church figure would have said, the doctrinal issue being challenged at the time is where the, the fight really is. We can all go back and fight about the other issues when, when that's right. That's the issue being fought now. It's, it, you know, as I used to say before, the battle of atheism, once they've thrown God out of the picture, we now see where the debate about God is. It's related to the image of God. In humanity, it's the anthropological, it's the creaturely. That's where it's taking place now. It's still a theological issue, but it's taking place in 
the issue of anthropology. And what these figures are doing is affirming there is a created nature, male, female, the significance of it, all the way down into the, the you know, every fiber of creation. And so I think that's why there can be what we would call a sort of affinity with them without having to subscribe to every aspect about it. So they have sort of what you would call a, a general revelation of creation that we can say has been lost with a lot of evangelicals and they at least have more of it going on than some of these people. Yeah, and I think too there's been a failure to see the connection between soteriology and creation. Yes. So, you know, one of the things I try to do with the household and the war for the cosmos is yeah. help people see that the creation itself provides the framework within which to Absolutely. understand salvation and that the, that the creation itself has a future. Absolutely. And that male and female is not just some kind of arbitrary social construct but and is not and is even more than something woven into the fabric of creation but is something that points to the relationship of Christ and the church church Absolutely. for all eternity. Yeah. So this is not an irrelevant matter when it comes even to soteriology. This is fundamental yeah. to our understanding of salvation. If we lose the understanding of male and female, it affects our understanding of salvation. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I would add one other point here. Um, since we're on soteriology, uh, it's a reminder that we are justified by faith. We are not justified by believing in justification by faith. That is a really important distinction, yeah. Yeah. which means that even if you have the Catholic Church that does not accept justification by faith in the sense that we use the term, that doesn't mean that there aren't Catholics who are good believers. There aren't, it doesn't mean the Orthodox who have a radically different way of understanding salvation. It doesn't mean that they're not real believers. We have theological differences, we have differences in the way we express things and all of that kind of thing. But frankly, I think we're in a situation where our alliances need to shift. And I think, yeah. the, I think uh, related to that, I think is, is another thing Glenn, you know, I think would agree with is the reason he mentions that is because they've often been better carriers of the classic Christian understanding of the created order. Yeah, I think about a friend like Tony Esselin. Yeah. I've got more in common with Tony than 99% of the PCA, yeah. frankly. That's yeah. just the fact. Or Robert George. Or Robert George, Robert P. George. Yeah, so the point here is that we, I think we need to break out of our insular thinking that, you know, we're, we're reformed, but we're evangelicals. Okay, so this is our natural affinity group. Maybe that's no longer the case. Maybe these affinity groups are breaking down and we need to look across boundaries that we normally will have been historically conditioned to reject or ignore. I'm a Reformation historian. I'm really tired of people fighting the wars of the Reformation today. That was 500 years ago, guys, get over it. You know, there are lots, there are lots of ways that we can find people to lock arms with within the Christian tradition across traditions to move things forward. And I think we need to do that. I think that's absolutely essential. I'm even willing to go as far as looking at Jordan Peterson and saying, all right, you know, he's not there, but I think he may be on the way. Um, you know, so th th that's the way I look at this. I'm willing to to especially within anybody in the historic Christian tradition, I'm willing to work with any of them. Because I think we, you know, Benjamin uh, 
yeah, Benjamin Franklin famously said during the revolution, if we don't hang together, we will most assuredly hang separately. <laughs> you know, and by, and, and we by, need to hang together. And by the way, one of the things to note is a person like Tony Eslin feels closer affinity to me than he does to 99% of the Catholic Church. Yep, yep. It's a weird thing. It's a weird moment. He is probably the most critical person of the Catholic bishops I know. I'm curious if you've got a sense of how much Christian dominion is too much. <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. So to, to summarize that, the question is, is how much Christian dominion is too much from the atheist point of view? Right. Um, I, I think he would say, you know, in, in the best of all possible worlds, we wouldn't need them. But this is not the best of all possible worlds. Um, and uh, at, th at this point, he, he addresses that question sort of. He says, that's not something we even need to worry about right now. So he doesn't really address it. He just says, look, this is frankly a non-issue at the moment. So. Hmm. Other questions? Yeah. Question about, um, this is very helpful. One of the things that helped me with was, and I haven't read a lot about this, but understanding the role of reason and rationality So just to summarize, the question is, is what, how will we define reason? Uh, is it uh, thought that is uh, consistent with the world? Uh, what was the second part, Darren? The other would be the, is, is reason basically thought that is entirely Okay, so, so in other words, uh, is, is reason something that uh, human beings can use to comprehend everything? Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. So I, I guess I have a couple of thoughts on this. One is, is that 
What I'm hearing you say, I think, is something that most people, uh, perhaps the vast, vast majority of people would say is the nature of reason, and that is that it's something that goes on inside our heads. Uh, the classical understanding of reason is that reason uh, pervades the universe, that it's something that's outside our heads and suffuses reality is, uh, and is, ex is expressed in human beings in a way that other rational or other creatures who are not rational don't possess. So it isn't actually in our heads, but it's actually all around us. And so this is where the, you know, the, the, the ancient doctrine of the Logos comes into the picture. And so within, and in classical culture, the Logos was understood to be reason in the way I just described it, that it suffuses reality and that human beings participate in it. It's not just something, so that you're, the way you put it uh, is really more the modern way of thinking about it. It's sort of the outworkings of the Enlightenment. And um, it's very good in certain ways. It's, you know, for instance, one of the ways we talk about this in sort of philosophical circles is we refer to it as instrumental reason. In other words, reason that's useful for helping us to sort of, um, sort of understand the, the processes that are around us, but it's really mostly just something that's going on inside our heads. We're not actually participating in something. So, but when, when scripture refers to Christ as the Lagos, mm -hmm. it's saying that uh, reason uh, has its origin in God and that that reason suffuses reality. Yes, the mind of God. Yeah, the mind of God. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 would add, I would add a little bit to that. I, I mean, I think this is, this is a great question because it hits on something Glenn mentioned a little bit earlier, our, our loss of metaphysics and metaphysical thinking and our suspicions of it. There's a long history to why. There's a lot of episodes we cover that on. Um, has made the whole question of reason kind of unintelligible. And then so you see where, where things end up. And so you end up in this spectrum, you're right, between what you kind of, some kind of realist to a non-realist, right? To realism assumes as a reality and that somehow our, our cognition, our, our mental capacities can correlate to it enough to make sense of it in some real way versus, you know, the whole spectrum all the way down to basically we can't know anything about it. All we can know about is, is the fact that it spawns us to think about things, but our thoughts are the only things that are there. And I think Chris hit it right when he was talking about the classic Christian way of understanding it is, first of all, it's a creaturely sharing in the capacity to participate in reality. That's really what it is. It's a creature, a human creaturely way in particular, and of course angels, there's a certain intelligibility going there. But because God is truth itself, the Logos is mentioned, anarche, ain ho Logos, right? In the beginning was the word. And the reality in its utmost fullness is intelligible. You could say it's eternal form. You could almost say it's form. And that has been spilled over into the creation in such a way that that creation is able through its own limited way to be able to correspond to that form, understand it, and live in a relationship with it. And it's really fundamental to the personal nature of God. If there isn't an intelligible reality going on, there's no way for communication to happen. There's no way for a personal God to communicate with personal creatures. It's foundational to the personal. Um, and so, so reason, you're right, is not some way in which we can climb up 
through just following laws of logic all the way up to the infinite source of all things. Rather, it's the other way around. Because we're wired that way, we're oriented that way, because that's the way reality is as it's oriented to God as its source. And as we grow in corresponding to that reality, we correspond more to the source and can know God, understand God. And of course, in our fallenness, it gets hampered, it gets darkened. Christ, the light, the Logos comes into the world, illumines us again and allows us not only to have an intelligible understanding of created nature as it points to God, but actually can enter into the inner sanctum of God's own inner communication as Trinity. And so that's a much richer vision than just, can I know this or not? Yeah, I'd add one more thing, just from a historical angle. There's um, a, a discussion on the relationship between reason and revelation um, it, throughout the Middle Ages. This is an important um, philosophical and theological point. And by reason, in this context, they mean human reason. What is it? What are we capable of knowing on our own? And so this this can lead in a whole bunch of unhelpful directions, but. They, they distinguished between what we can know on our own and what we can only know because God has revealed it. And of course the two are interrelated because we use reason to understand revelation up to a certain point and so on. But they recognized that there are certain types of knowledge that are inaccessible to human reason on its own. That, that you need revelation, you need illumination, you need all of these kinds of things because without them, you're gonna miss it. Okay, so that's another dimension that's, that's just worth noting as well. That it ties in with ideas of mystery and a whole host of other things, but I'll, I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, an example of that would be the resurrection. The resurrection reveals to us that there is a, you know, a, a future state uh, that, um, that we can count on because there has been something that occurred in history that doesn't just happen in the nor normal course of things. <laughs> mm -hmm. you, know, you, you don't like normally walk down the street and see dead people walking around, you know. Unless you're in a zombie movie. <laughs> that's right, that's right. Anyway, we should probably get uh, things wrapped up here. We have to drive up to Nashville tonight and uh, fly out in the morning <laughs> to our respective uh, destinations. So thank you for coming out. Uh, we're gonna be around here for a little bit because we gotta pack up and stuff, but I imagine you guys have to do things too tomorrow, so it's getting a quarter to nine or so. But again, thanks for everything. Thank you. The Theology Podcast is a ministry of Trinity Reformed Church in Huntsville, Alabama. If you like this podcast, you might enjoy another one of our podcasts, Got a Minute featuring Larson Hicks and Rich Lusk. Theology, philosophy, economics, politics, and more for normal people.